Our scripture this morning is 2 Corinthians chapter 2, reading verses 14 to 17. It can be found on page 965 in the Pew Bible. But thanks be to God, who is Christ always leading us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, and the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity and commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in, in Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is the word of the Lord. The songs that we sang are so expressive of the words in the passage we have before us today and in the sermon that it's almost like I don't need to preach the sermon. <clears throat> but I'm, I will anyway. <laughs> so the march to the Super Bowl continues for four teams. <laughs> so... Um, by the way, Travis, are you throwing your voice? Or... <laughs> How many of you saw, either as the game unfolded or on replay, the final play of the Minnesota Viking uh, New Orleans Saint game? Wow. Okay. Some of you will get the real feel for this, so let me get, give you a little picture of it. Is uh, This is a big game. Whoever wins moves on one game away from the Super Bowl. Minnesota itself is going to host the Super Bowl this year. And so uh, they take a big lead, and New Orleans comes back, and uh, the lead keeps changing back and forth. But New Orleans has the lead, and it looks like all hope is gone for the Vikings. They're dead. They're 61 yards away from the goal line. There's seven seconds left in the game. Their hope is to throw a Hail Mary that somehow... Uh, receiver will catch the ball among three defenders, somehow touch the ground and actually get down in the bound so they can kick a field goal, which is just near impossible. And so the quarterback fades back and he throws it way up in the air. And as the ball comes down, Stefan Diggs leaps above everyone else, grabs the ball, and one defender goes to the side of him and knocks down another defender. And so Diggs gets the ball, and he's supposed to step out of bounds so they could try a 53-yard field goal, but instead he looks down the field, and there's nobody there. And he runs down the, the field, scores the touchdown, and they win the game. The place, and it's in, happening in Minnesota, the place is ecstatic. Players on both sides are in complete shock and disbelief, euphoria around them. And so the uh, interviewer grabs the quarterback, who's only in there because the starter uh, has been hurt for a number of games. So he grabs Case Keenum, and he's interviewing him, and finally asks, so, so what the, what's this like? What do you feel? And his response is, this is the third greatest moment of my life. 
First is when I accepted Jesus Christ. Second is when I married my wife. Why does he say the first and greatest moment was when he accepted Jesus Christ? And it's because Christ is the greatest gift of life itself. When we have Jesus Christ, we have entrance into the very presence. We have been given an intimate relationship, close, loving relationship with the God of the universe. In Christ, our guilt is gone. We are forgiven. In him, we we find our purpose and the means to fulfill our purpose in life. In him, we we find the foundation for the way that we live, the morals we have, the values we cling to. There we have hope and love and peace and even life transformation so that we become better husbands and wives, fathers and mothers, neighbors, employers, employees better citizens of this world. We, we have it all in Jesus Christ. As Paul says elsewhere, we are complete in Christ. He is the greatest gift of all. So what are we going to do with that gift? We're going to bring it out to Metro West. We've gone through a visioning process and, and the real essence and core of it is right here on our walls Christ treasured above all things. And so now we're trying to implement that vision. And so we've been working together, encouraging one another in our personal growth toward Christ-likeness, towards understanding Christ so fully that we treasure Him. We're then going to form task forces to help us carry this message out to the world. And we're about to commission a task force for outreach by which we're going to do this. So what, what is it we're actually called to in our outreach? And it's something our, our team needs to know, and it's something we as a church need to understand as well. And I believe the answer to that is found in the passage that's before us today. Let's pray. Our Lord, I think we all who are involved in this say, how do we do this? We, we're, we're not sufficient for this task. We're, we're, we're lost. You need to lead the way. So Lord, we thank you. You've given us your word. And we pray that this passage might be one to lead the way for us. That we might be a church that treasures Christ above all things and brings that Christ to be treasured throughout Metro West and and throughout the world. In Christ we pray, amen. As we look at this passage this morning, and it's uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, So we look at this passage, we're going to see three components of what we are, what we're really all about as we reach out into Metro West and into the world. We're going to see it in the man, 
Paul. The ministry of Paul and the method of Paul. So when we, we look at the man of Paul, we're going to see really who we are to be, what our hearts are to be about, what our motivation is to be as we go into Metro West. When we look at the ministry, we're understanding what we're to do. And the method is how we do it. So, we're, so it's who are we to be, what are we to do, and how are we to do it? So it's important as we, we enter into this passage to understand the context to really understand Paul himself. Paul had planted churches in Corinth, and then, of course, he moved on to plant churches elsewhere. And false teachers came in following him, and they were discrediting him. They were maligning him. They came in and said, uh, Paul is unimpressive in his appearance. He's not a great speaker. Uh, he's disingenuine. He, he feigns as though he, he cares for you, but he's really deserted you. It really has no resume to speak of, nothing like ours. And he's constantly in trouble, being persecuted and suffering. And that really shows that God's hand is not there blessing him. He is not a servant of God, so don't listen to Paul. So Paul writes 2 Corinthians to defend his apostolic authority. Because if they don't believe Paul's an authority, they're not going to follow Paul's teaching. They're not going to follow the gospel itself. So for the sake of Jesus Christ, Paul has to defend himself in this letter. And he begins by talking about his suffering, why he's really suffering and the value in that suffering. Then he talks about why he really isn't disingenuine. He didn't keep his word to visit the Corinthians when he said he would, but he shares, the reason is because I love you. Because if I came at that time I would have to come with a rod. I'd have to come with discipline. But I wanted to give you time to change because I wanted to embrace you in love. And so when I had opportunity of an open door in Troas to share the gospel, I left it because I was so concerned about you. I hadn't heard from Titus what was going on in the church, so I left Troas to get closer so I could hear about you. I love you. Because... My life is about Jesus Christ, and he begins with these words. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So what Paul is talking about is a well-known Roman victory procession. And uh, one of the commentaries uh, describes it this way. A general and his armies have won. He makes contact with the Senate in Rome, and he asks permission to have an official triumph. It's granted, so he proceeds with his victorious troops and his notable captives to a spot some miles away from the capital city, and there he arranges all the personnel in order. He, of course, leads the way, riding with considerable pomp in his ceremonial chariot, Behind him will come his victorious troops who will be anticipating a reward and following them his captives who are going to their execution. One Roman source also shows us that in connection with the procession there were people scattering incense so that its fragrance would herald the arrival of the victorious general 
and get the crowds ready to give a mighty cheer when he came into sight. What Paul is saying is, my life is all about the triumph of Jesus Christ. And I am the slave he has captured. Here we see the essence of Paul. His his life was not about himself. He was willing to endure anything and everything so that Christ would be glorified. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he, he says this, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I was adrift at the sea. On frequent journeys, in danger of rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, dangerous at the sea, dangers from false brothers. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak that I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? Paul will later call these momentary light afflictions. His entire life, he was being persecuted. He was being hounded and he felt the lashes on his back, the darkness in the prisons. In fact, he was living under constant threats and plots against his life. Later in this book, he will say he carries about the dying of Christ in him that he might give the message of life to us. This is Paul. I think what he's teaching us here is that our, when we go out in outreach, it starts with who we are. Why would Paul go through all of this? He says, the love of Christ controls us. And we often ask the question, well, the love of Christ, does that mean that we love Christ or does that mean he loves us? When he continues and says, knowing that Christ died for all. See, he loves Jesus Christ, but it begins because he has gone to the cross and he has experienced the wonders and the depth of God's love for him and his heart is transformed. He does this because he treasures Christ. Our journey of carrying out our vision doesn't begin in the neighborhoods of Weston. It begins here in this church among us. If we want Weston and Natick and Framingham and Wayland and beyond and beyond to treasure Jesus Christ, we must first treasure Christ for we're going to pass on who we are. We can't begin by looking at what programs we can have, what initiatives we have, what are other churches doing that make them grow? That's not the question. The first question is, who are we? 
What are we going to pass on? And so we've begun some work already. Pastor Brandon uh, put out books, Seeking and Savoring Jesus Christ, so each family could take a book and begin to work through really growing in an incredible love for Jesus Christ. And each home group is taking that book and working their, their conversations around that book to, incur, to see Christ more clearly so that we are drawn into Christ more fully, so that we treasure Christ. Our discipleship task force, which will be coming, will really be focused on that as well. It's not simply making us more mature, but it's about us treasuring Christ on that path to maturity. So as we begin, let's first realize it's most about who we are. So we see the man, and we see the ministry here. Now look closely at uh, look closely again at this verse in chapter two. Through us spreads the fragrance of the Him everywhere, for we are the aroma of Christ. Okay, what's Paul's ministry? Take a look at that. What's Paul's ministry? to be the fragrance of Jesus Christ. See, Christ's ministry was to come and to seek and to save the lost. We can't save the lost. Only Christ can do that. But we can bring the knowledge of the Christ who does save. So when we go out and uh, live out the life of Christ in front of people, when we share the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are successful no matter what the response is because we're doing our ministry. We're bringing a fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So the question becomes now, is the fragrance, that knowledge of Christ coming from who we are or from the message we share? And the answer is yes. It is from who we are because it says we, it's through us that the knowledge comes. But he also says in a moment, we speak. So it's both. We speak and we are the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We speak it when we speak the gospel because in the gospel we see the fullness of who Jesus Christ is. It isn't just about this guy came and died for our sins and so our sins are out of the way and so now we can be in heaven forever with God and have lots of fun. It's really a display of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It begins, as Philippians 2 says, with the fact that Jesus is God. Although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard, regard equality with God as a thing to be clung to. He was God. But he was also humble. He humbled himself and took on the form of man and then went to the cross. We see his deity. We see his humility. We see his commitment to justice in the garden when he says, Lord, I don't want to go through this. I don't want to have to bear the cup of, of your wrath, but I will. And so he takes the just deserts of sin, of our sin, upon himself at the cross. There he shows the the incomprehensible span of God's love. 
that while we were yet sinners, undeserving, figuratively and some literally spitting in the face of Jesus Christ, he dies for us. We see the compassion of Jesus Christ as he looks down at those who are mocking him. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We see the grace of Jesus Christ when he turns to the thief next to him and says, today you will be with me in heaven. We see the glory of Jesus Christ when the centurion looks up at a crucified, beaten, dying man and says, truly this must be the Son of God. We see the power of Jesus Christ in enduring this torture and raising from the dead. We see the sovereignty and the wisdom of Jesus Christ as here at the cross, God is holy and just and loving. He saves us from sin by being sin so that the justice of God is satisfied, but he does it, takes that sin on himself because his love is so great. At the cross, at the gospel of Jesus Christ, we begin to see and know Christ in the fullness of who he is. But it's also the way we live. Paul incarnated the gospel He, through his life, he spread a fragrance of who Jesus Christ is. 1 Timothy talks about, he says, I was the chief sinner. There's the humility. I'm the chief sinner. But God used that to show that if I could be saved, anybody could be saved. And he glories in humility. He was a persecutor of the church who was transformed in a way that he ended up being persecuted for being a Christian. Christ offers a new life. He was filled with the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. That's the life he lived out. Even though he was a, a slave in that procession, le- being led to death, he was not in spirit. He lived a life of joy. The book of Philippians, he references joy 20 times in four chapters, culminating with rejoice again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He wrote that from prison. Paul was an imitator of Jesus Christ. Christ. He was the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. He was able to say, if you want to know how Jesus would live, look at me. I will give my life for the gospel. So the question is, can can we say that to to Weston and to the surrounding region? Can we say, if you want to know what Jesus Christ is like, come into Westgate Church. There you will experience Christ. Not by just the words we say, but you'll experience him as you enter into relationship with us. What an incredible calling, but that's the calling that Christ has given us. But do we live that out? Is the church, the fragrance of Christ, drawing people to Christ? Or are we so... Our lives so disconnected from the gospel that we actually become a barrier to Christ. Uh, Timothy Keller, who's uh, 
always on the cutting edge of talking to those who do not know Jesus Christ, said this, for every one person I've met who turned away from the faith because of reasoning or an apparent lack of evidence, there are many more who left because of church people who are proud, self-righteous, and imperious. Are we letting the gospel transform us? If it does, how can we be proud? We are sinners. We are such bad sinners that the God of the universe needed to come down and pay for our sin. How can we ever be proud? Are we self-righteous? We didn't earn our salvation. We needed God to earn it for us. How can we be self-righteous? Are we imperious? Do we really believe we're superior to others when we are the sinners saved by grace? How can we be hypocrites if God accepts us completely as we are in our sin by dying for our sin? Why do we need to put on false faces? Why, why not just be ourselves? We don't need to impress others because God has been impressed by Christ for us. How can we be unforgiving when we receive the fullness of forgiveness at the foot of the cross? How can we be bitter or hold grudges? How can we be gossips, tear others down when Christ so builds us up through the cross? Look at the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to let that gospel transform us in our character. So not just our words, but our very lives are a fragrance of Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean if we live perfectly as Christ, we shared the gospel clearly and honestly and lovingly, it still doesn't mean people are going to come to Jesus Christ. For we are a fragrance of Christ to some, it's to life. To others, we are a fragrance of death. Just like they traveled at the, the, the Roman procession, the fragrance wafted out, and it declared the Roman soldiers were triumphant. But to the captives, it was the smell of death, for they are going to their execution. The gospel of Jesus Christ, found in 1 Corinthians 15, says, Jesus Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture. He was buried, and on the third day, he was raised, according to the scriptures, and he appeared compared to Peter, compared to 500 at one time. That gospel is life. It's saying we who were dead in our trespasses and sin, Jesus Christ came and died for those sins so we could have eternal life with God. The gospel is life. That's why we at Westgate, who've accepted Jesus Christ, we celebrate the gospel. It's life to us. But listen to that gospel through the ears of an unbeliever. You are saying that I'm a sinner. You're judging me. You're saying that I am condemned and that I deserve to go to hell. Can you imagine the, the, the response? You see why people react to the sharing of the gospel? It isn't to them... a fragrance of life, it's a fragrance of, of death. 
That doesn't mean we should keep it to ourselves because it isn't just the fragrance of life. It is life. We can't keep it to ourselves. And if you're one who has not come to faith in Jesus Christ yet, you may be repulsed by the gospel. But try to understand, we share it not to judge you, not to express some kind of superiority over you because we believe we are sinners and we needed Christ's death for us. And we believe that is the way to salvation. So we need to share it if we love you. I know you've heard this a couple times from this, from this pulpit, but uh, Penn Gillette, who's an illusionist, he's also a very outspoken atheist and critic of Christianity, uh, did a little video where he shared about what he felt after a man came up following a performance and gave him a Bible. And this is what he said. I've always said, you know, that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever you think, that, uh, well... It's not worth telling them this because it would be socially awkward. How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that there's everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I wish every... Atheists, everyone still on a journey to understand who Christ is, would see our evangelism through his eyes. It is a loving thing, even though it sounds so harsh. It's a fragrance of life. It's also the fragrance of death. And by the way, I think he uncovers why he wanted to share this in the video he talked about that man and he said, this man was a really good man. He was polite, honest, and sane. And he cared enough about me to proselytize me. It was a person sharing the love of Christ, exuding the love of Christ that helped him understand what he was doing, sharing a gospel of love. So who are we to be? We're to be people who are all about Jesus Christ, who treasure him above all else. What's our ministry? To be the fragrance of Jesus Christ in word and in person. And so what's the method? And we're going to see three aspects to the method in uh, verses 16 through 17. He says, Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Notice, so we, let's start with the idea that we are not peddlers of God's word, but we are men of sincerity. Our methodology, we are to be authentic. We are to be real. We are to be sincere. And we're not to be peddlers of the word of God. Now, in that culture, uh, peddlers were notorious for cheating others. They'd present shoddy wares, 
the wine merchants would water down the wine. They were in it for one reason, not to help you get a good product, but for them to make a good living. It was all about them. And Paul looks at the false teachers that have come in, and he's saying that's what they're all about. They're all about themselves, and they will compromise the gospel. They will twist the gospel. They will water down the gospel. They'll do anything to get the praise of man and to get their salary. He says, that's not what we're to be about. That's not, that's not what I'm about. In fact, Paul did not take a salary. False teachers used that against him, saying, see, his ministry is worthless. They don't even pay him anything. Instead, it was, I don't take a salary because I, don't, I want you to know that it's all about Jesus Christ. So, Paul was authentic. He spoke honestly. That's what he had to do with the Corinthians. He couldn't simply say, oh, they, they don't think, uh, they, they're questioning my apostolic authority. Well, I'm done with them. No, he goes, he writes this entire book. He, he leaves Troas because he has a passion to help them understand what is right and true. He is sincere. He is authentic. He shares his faults. I am the greatest sinner of all, he says. And he would never water down the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not popular. We just displayed how, it, uh, how it's heard, how harsh it could sound. But we need to share the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is salvation. So, what can really move us to take that gospel, to walk out our doors and to share it? It's because we do it before God. As Paul says, commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. If we fear the response of man, we will compromise the gospel. We will accommodate it to what they want to hear. We will manipulate people. But if we stand in the sight of God when we share, we will be truthful, we will be honest, we will be sincere. We'll be godly and we'll be loving. So when I, when I read this, I'm reminded of a confirmation hearing six months ago of, of Russell Vaught, a Christian. And one of the senators brought up a statement he had written a year and a half earlier about the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. And of course, the Muslims are not in Jesus Christ, and therefore are not saved, they are condemned. And he wrote that in the context of a, of a Christian conversation over a firing that was done of a teacher at Wheaton College who had said, Muslims are accepted by God. And so this is brought out, the senator says, in my view, the statement made by Mr. Vaught is indefensible, it's hateful, it's Islamophobic, and it's an insult to over a billion Muslims throughout the world. The senator told the committee, this country since its inception has struggled, sometimes with great pain, to overcome discrimination of all forms. We must not go backwards. I will not vote for this man. 
Now, when Russell Vaught was, was being grilled intensely, very heated discussion, he's being grilled over his faith, he could bend and secure his confirmation and be uh, appeased and accepted by uh, everyone outside of Christianity, everyone who believes that every religion is a way to God. And that's, that's, that's essentially the major belief in our country today. And if he stood before man, he would hem and haw. But he stood before God. And he clung to his faith in Jesus Christ and the exclusivity of salvation being found in Christ. We will come into situations where we either stand in the sight of God or we stand in the sight of man. We will not compromise the gospel when we stand in the sight of God. Now, that does not mean we do not tailor the gospel and present the understanding of two individuals or uh, tailor it to the understanding of the people around us. Uh, Jesus did that. To Nicodemus, who, who understood uh, Judaism completely, the sacrificial system, he came to Jesus and Jesus looked him in the eye and said, Unless you're born again, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. The next chapter, he goes on his way uh, up back to Judea. He stops at a well in Samaria, and he meets not a religious leader of the Jews, but a, uh, an outcast Samaritan woman who's living in immorality. He doesn't say, unless you're born again, he says... I offer you living water. His gospel is the same in both places, but his presentation is tailored to who the person is and their understanding. Paul stands on Mars Hill and he finds a connecting point by looking at all the different idols and he sees the idol to an unknown God. And he starts there. He starts where they have, they have an agreement says, we all agree that there's an unknown God here. Well, let me tell you about that unknown God. And instead of quoting scripture, he quotes their prophets. But it's the same gospel. Later, when he stands before the Pharisees and religious leaders, he gives his testimony and how he was a Pharisee. He begins where there's a point of agreement and an understanding, and then he works outward as he shares his testimony to finally bring the gospel like he shares it everywhere else. We are to be wise, loving. We are to be clear with the gospel to each individual. They do, if I say to you, te amo, those who speak Spanish know what I'm saying. Those who don't, don't know what I'm saying. So I have to say, I love you. It's the same as we share the gospel. How are they understanding the gospel? We want him to understand it accurately. And he says also, he asks the question, who is sufficient for these things? And the answer Paul gives is, I am in Jesus Christ only. Chapter 2, verses 
excuse me, chapter 3, verses 2 and 4, he says, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Our methodology is sincerity, authenticity, faithfulness to God in the gospel, and our dependence upon God. Because we are not sufficient to be the aroma of Jesus Christ. I'm sure when I talked about how the, we need to be the aroma of the knowledge of Christ, when people look at us, they need to they understand Christ. I'm sure everybody here saying, I'm not sufficient for that. But in Christ you are. It's through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in every believer who does a transforming work and he's going to say at the end of chapter 3, and when we behold Christ, the Spirit is transforming us from glory to glory. As we behold Christ, as we enter more deeply into relationship with him and intimacy with him, we become more like him. But it's the Spirit of God that's going to do the work. We cannot save people, but the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He draws people to Jesus Christ. So are we praying? Are we praying for the salvation of others that the Spirit of God might begin to work in them right now so that when they hear the gospel, they're ready to respond? You know, when we went through our visioning process, it's one thing I kept hearing over and over again. First thing we need to do is pray. Yes! first thing we need to do is pray. And I believe that the congregation believes that. And I don't know if since that time you're praying more about our vision and, and how our region's going to treasure Jesus Christ, how our church is going to treasure Christ. But I know in our prayer venues, they haven't grown. Our Last Sunday on prayer, mission on prayer, pretty much the same number. Sunday morning, same number. Tuesday morning, one less person. I hope we are praying individually. I hope we're praying together. It would be beautiful to see us to come out in force to prayer venues that are saying to God, we want to treasure Christ, show us Christ. We want our region to treasure Jesus Christ. Send your spirit out to be moving among this region so that it will be transformed, so that everyone treasures Jesus Christ. Our Father, thank you for the word of God. It meets us day after day every time we open your word. Your truth is there to speak to right to where we live this morning, God. I believe you've spoken to where we are as a church right now. I pray for Brandon's sermon series that he's going to begin next week about the supremacy of Jesus Christ in the book of Hebrews. I pray that it isn't just us coming away saying, boy, the book of Hebrews is really neat. I hope it's that each week we treasure a different facet of the beauty of the glory of Jesus Christ.
that we will gain that comprehensive picture and walk away treasuring you more and more. In Christ we pray, amen.